conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. I'm your host, Deanna Chapman, and I am joined by Jacob Tender. It has been quite some time, Jacob. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Of course. And today we're talking all about Gravity Falls, which is a show that I knew absolutely nothing about before Jacob told me that he would be interested in doing this podcast. So thank you for that recommendation. It worked out well. Welcome. You said that you were going to have this done by like next week or something, but then you finished early. I imagine that means you like the show. Yeah, it was one of those things where I was sitting there and I realized I had watched like seven episodes and only had two <laughs> left. So I was like, well, I'm just going to finish this. And because as you know, I've been reading and watching a ton of Stephen King stuff. I was like, okay, yeah. let me just get Gravity Falls out of the way because right now I'm in the middle of watching the like five hour Stephen King's The Shining miniseries. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I have to have that done for tomorrow. I have one disc left of the three, and wow. I am in the middle of reading the fourth Dark Tower book. So I'm trying to get ahead on that stuff. But I got so far behind on the Stephen King stuff, I was like hurrying to get through these books. And I was like, okay, I have five weeks in a row for Chat Cemetery where it's just TV and movie stuff. So let me just crank all of this stuff out. And especially with everyone under quarantine right now, maybe by the time you hear this, things will have gotten better since it'll be out a few weeks from now. But I think it was just sort of the perfect time for a show like Gravity Falls, too, yeah. and for just cranking out the podcast since everyone's home. Yeah, yeah. Pro productivity is both... Um, it's in a weird place right now, isn't it? Yeah. I found myself to be like very productive in certain areas and less productive in other ways. So I'm like finishing up uh, my last semester for my new degree, and um, that involves, you know, some pretty major projects. And I can't say that I've been particularly productive in those areas, but with uh, side projects and my job and projects that we're doing there, I'm like way ahead of the curve. So it's definitely a weird time. And I find myself trying to relax as much as I can, because it's, I think people with the, a certain kind of personality, and I think you probably fall into this camp too, when you're not doing something, there's like usually a guilt that's associated yes. <laughs> with that. It's like a, a restless sort of guilt like oh I, you know I, oh gosh i should be doing something i need to be working on something but when you're at home all the time and there's no separation between you know school and home or work and home it can be hard to draw that line like okay when is quitting time have i done enough for the day like i i didn't hit eight hours but have i accomplished enough work uh for the day and can i go play animal crossing that's a hard question that i've been asking myself every day but i've been trying to manage it I have felt guilty quite a few times when playing Animal Crossing lately because <laughs> I bought the game quite a while after everyone else. So everyone was talking about it and they were like, you need to get it. You need to get it. I was like, okay, okay, let me get through this stack of podcasts that I know I have to edit because with URM, they started releasing three episodes a week to keep people busy and their episodes are anywhere from two to three hours each for wow. the most part. Yeah. So I'm one of the random people who had an uptick in work. So then I was like, yeah. okay, <laughs> I have more podcasts to edit. I got another client and I am kind of trying to figure out how to not just work all day. Sometimes I'll like crank out one of those episodes in a day and it's almost, you know, six to eight hours worth of work in a day. But for yeah. the most part, because 
I do my own podcast like this one, I'm like, okay, when should I do something for fun? Because even though watching Gravity Falls was fun, obviously, it was also podcast prep. So it's yeah, like sure. for me, that line is super blurry because while editing is work, I don't consider the podcast prep work necessarily. Sometimes Stephen yeah. King books feel like work, but <laughs> it just depends on how much I like them. And with Gravity Falls, it did not feel like work at all, which was nice because I didn't even bother like taking notes during it, which I'll do a lot if I'm just watching a movie or something real quick. And it was because of sort of the style of it. And, you know, season one really introduces you to the whole world, to the characters. You get this feeling that, okay, this thing is supposed to last for a summer. They're visiting this place for the summer, and then they're going to go home at the end of it. So you kind of have this finite story that you're going to tell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that was one of uh, Alex Hirsch's main goals when he created the show. Um, you know, he was asked many, many times if there was going to be another season or another story that follows what transpires in season two. And it's just not, it just was never in the cards for him. He always wanted to make a very finite story inspired on his own life with his twin sister when they went away for our summer. And that was the inspiration. And that was it. He just, he wanted to have a very concise story. And I think they achieved that. And what they did with that show is just so unique. It's so endearing. I came to the show pretty late. It had already finished. I actually came to it when Disney Plus was released to the US. Okay. I signed up and day one, I'm like, okay, let's let's watch some Disney. And the first thing that I, I gravitated to was this Gravity Fall show, which people have been gushing about for years. And, you know, I think my thought towards the show prior to having seen any of it, it was probably the same to most people, which is that this is a, ch a child's cartoon and um, it's probably not for me. I don't think that people disregard cartoons in the way that they used to. I mean, the Simpsons has been, you know, present for a long time and Futurama and Rick and Morty. Uh, there are yeah. a lot of adult cartoons, but this one looks very childish and in a lot of cases has very childish themes, but there are a lot of very mature themes as well. And there's just this underlying mystery to it that draws you in. And I couldn't get enough of it. I absolutely love the show and I'm glad that you did too. And the fact that you got through it so quickly um, <laughs> made me pretty glad. And I'm sure we'll kind of walk through the show season by season, but just as a, a an initial reaction, were you sad? Did you, did you feel sad when the show was over? You know what? I did. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. They actually are leaving. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was hoping that, oh, okay, maybe they just stay and do their thing. But it's like, okay, they're 12 in season two, they turn 13. So it's like they have to go back to school. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not like one of those things where they're just going to live with Grunkle Stan forever and not see their parents at all. Because what I did enjoy was the fact that you don't really get to know about their home life. It's just like, hey, this is our summer. This is yeah. a time for us to do our own thing. And you don't need to know anything about the characters from when they're at home with their parents because you learn everything you need to know about their personalities and who they are as these preteens turned teenagers just through the stories that happened over the course of this one summer. 
Yeah, exactly. And that was another one of Alex Hirsch's main goals in the writing room, which was that he wanted to, every episode had to have, you know, a couple of, of different beats. They had like a synopsis for every episode. Um, they would you know, decide what characters were going to be in it. But in every single episode, his goal was that you learned something about one of the characters, whether it be one of the main characters like Dipper and Mabel or one of the side characters, you had to learn something about the character during that episode. And I think that plays into the bigger picture of why gravity falls was so, so great. And why you get that emotion of feeling so sad that it's over, uh, when the final season rolls, because it's, it's just masterful storytelling and world building. You just feel great when you're in gravity falls at first. It's it's just like this kind of weird town. And you think it's going to be kind of like a, a Scooby-Doo monster of the week serial sort of thing, but it evolves to so much more than that. And you know, story aside, all of the antagonists and the, the plot devices aside, it's just such a cool little world with all these, you know, little characters that come in and out. And it just feels like this place that very well could exist in its own absurd way. And ah, I just, I just really enjoyed that. And I don't know, I, as much as I wish that there was more and there are comics and things, you know, side, side pieces of, of canonized lore and yeah. all that fun stuff. But as much as I wish that there was more, I, there's something I really enjoy about that, you know, finite story. You know, it actually kind of reminds me a bit of Over the Garden Wall. Did you ever watch that? No. It was on Cartoon Network. It's it's a great okay. little mini series. I think maybe it's like four or five episodes. It's really short, um, but it just tells this really small story about these two brothers who find themselves in a magical world where there are these really uh, high stakes consequences and they just kind of fumble into it. But the story and the themes are so mature for something that was on Cartoon Network that it was almost unbelievable. And it's found this cult following. Every year I like to carve a pumpkin that has the little characters on the front. (laughs) It reminded me a lot of that. It shares a lot of the same kind of mysterious beats with lore, but, you know, based around children who are learning about themselves. And so when you said that, you know, the first season is is very much, well, the whole show is really just about learning about all all the things about Dipper and Mabel um, that are important to tell the story. We're learning it as they learn it. They're finding out a lot of things about themselves and each other and their relationship with each other. And you see that grow over the course of the show. And man, ah, this is a great show. This is really good. It really is. And one of the things that I loved about it was just how it all comes together because you're in this more remote town in Oregon and you can tell that it's kind of just a hodgepodge of different people who were kind of outsiders is what it really seems like. And you have, you know, the Lumberjack family, which is Wendy's family. You have Dipper and Mabel, who are nothing like Stan. And then you have Zeus, who lives with his grandma. (laughs) And you you don't really find out more about Zeus until season two. But in season one, just how they introduce all of the characters and even though some are more prominent in season two or introduced in season two, ultimately, you really get a sense for what this town is like and what weird things are going on. You know, you have early on when one of the gnomes is trying to like marry Mabel and then you have Lil <laughs> Gideon trying to marry Mabel and everyone's trying to marry this 12 year old girl and we don't yeah. really know why, Yeah, but it's just so funny. And it's not one gnome. It's, it's a whole bunch of gnomes. They're well, all trying yes. to marry <laughs> the, the whole, the whole group there. They're just like 
Queen. Yeah. Queen Mabel. Yeah. Season one had a lot of characters. And I think, you know, I listened to, um, after after I watched the show, uh, I found somebody had uploaded like a pirate feed of all of the commentary audio for all the episodes. So this is okay. just audio that you could play on the Blu-ray or the DVD uh, while the episode's playing. And it has Alex Hirsch and some of the voice actors and the writers um, talking about the episode and, and how they were developed. In listening to that, you learn a lot about how the show and the characters were, in some cases, accidental. So you've got characters like Old Man McGucket, who is like the, you know, he's like the crazy hillbilly in town. Yeah. In the first season, he's just this wild, zany character. And for the first couple episodes, you know, he was just kind of, he was just a one-off. But as the show develops, you learn that Old Man McGucket really plays deeply into the story of Gravity Falls, and that was something that was developed later on. And there's a lot of that. Like, they, after the show, like, the first three episodes or so were released and aired, they got some feedback from the audience on the characters that they loved and the, the themes that they loved, and a lot of that played into how they placed the beats of the story. I think a lot of the main ideas were kind of there, but the way that they moved towards those, those different landmarks in the gravity falls pine story changed a lot over the course of the show and it's really interesting to to kind of hear about what that's like so if you end up liking the show i would recommend getting the dvds because i don't think they have the commentary tracks on disney plus that's something that they should add but all i saw were some little additional shorts that i didn't end up watching but it really sets you up to not know what's coming next with season one because at first, you kind of think, oh, maybe it is going to be like a monster of the week type of thing, like Scooby-Doo, because you have the gnomes, you have, you know, the creature that's off on the island that they go to right, right off the bat. And you're like, okay, you know, even if that's what it was, I still would have been able to get into it because I think that place was just so interesting. But the way they took those ideas and incorporated them into a bigger picture just worked so well because... The overall theme of season one is kind of Dipper and Mabel settling in. Dipper ends up having this crush on Wendy, and you learn that Zeus and Wendy, even though they might not necessarily like working, they're still pretty loyal to the Mystery Shack. And the Mystery Shack is just such a great name in general, because you see how Stan is just trying to get money from tourists and he doesn't really care how he goes about it but then dipper is really into the actual mystery surrounding the town so it kind of has this double meaning by the end of even just the first season yeah well you know as you learn more about what grunkle stan is sort of hiding uh you know that grunkle stan knows about everything that's going on like he to a degree like he knows that there are paranormal things so he's a you know publicly he's a bit of a cynic there's a lot of facets to grunkle stan he is like the the carny showman who is trying to make a buck by convincing all of these people uh these tourists to gravity falls that all this stuff is real all this mystery stuff is legitimate and worth paying money for but privately with his family he puts on a front a different front because he's trying to convince them that nothing is real like none of it's real it's all just a it's a sham and he's just you know it's just the way that he makes his buck but then privately with just himself he's like working furiously on this project to uh you know solve some of these mysteries and bring back his brother from this you know other dimension or uh whatever it was that uh, the portal that he's trying to fix so there are these different elements and you're just you're trying to figure out what's real and you kind of as the viewer are 
are coming at the show usually from the same point of view as the kids. Yeah. There's usually some dramatic irony where you might know that something's coming. It is a children's show, after all. It's not completely suspenseful. But in most cases, you're coming into each situation with Dipper and Mabel, and you're learning things as they do. And that makes you come really close to these characters. You just feel very attached because you're invested in their survival and their relationship together. Um, and then also trying to figure out what the heck makes Gravity Falls so damn weird. <laughs> yeah. Did you feel that season two, though, had a step up in quality? Yeah, it's weird. What One of the primary writers, I think, left after the first season, which was kind of a shame because I liked a lot of the, the stuff that that person worked on specifically. Okay. But I think because by then they had set up so much of the story, mm-hmm. I think it worked out. And I, I think overall I did enjoy season two more because there, there were more story beats. But I don't know. I think it's a good mix. I think over the course of two seasons there wasn't so much dramatic change yeah um that you could really tell a difference in writing staff and that's that's another great thing about having a show that's so concise it's you know it can seem more solid throughout the whole thing rather than going into eight seasons and obviously having your highs and lows i think overall it it was just very uh very solid I think with season two, there were more consequences to Dipper and Mabel's actions, because in season one, it really feels like, oh, they're just sort of feeling things out, trying to solve these mysteries in this, you know, by using this journal that Dipper found. And the stakes aren't really super high in season one. But in season two, once Dipper and Mabel find out what Stan has been up to, and they find out that there are three journals, and they're kind of battling head to head with Lil Gideon and even Pacifica Northwest is a rival for Mabel in this. It really feels like there's a lot more at stake by the time you hit, you know, those last four episodes that tie together. Yeah. In the first season, remind me, um, did Bill Cipher make an appearance in season one? Honestly, I watched it so quickly. I yeah, don't It's kind of hard to did. separate, right? Yeah. That was another character that just sort of, um, sort of manifested itself after the show had been released for a while because there was like the the you know the iconography in the books and if you watch closely and you really read into the gravity falls lore there's a bunch of hidden messages throughout the show not just like in the illustrations and stuff but the beginning there will be like a flash of something that's only up for two frames and uh you'll have to record in your dvr if you want to go back and pause it and then decipher the message there's a lot of that fun stuff kind of meta stuff that alex put in there for the fans to really dig into and invest in um but yeah, the first season, you know, little Gideon was introduced, the Northwest were introduced, and they were just sort of uh, childlike rivals, foils to our heroes. Yeah. But in the second season, um, as the story expanded for Dipper and Mabel, it expanded for everybody in the community. It wasn't just like they're dealing with everything. The entire town, in a lot of ways, had to come to terms with things that are going on and work together to figure stuff out. And Pacific Northwest is probably one of the most uh, dynamic characters in the whole series because they really changed her up. She was a pretty flat and shallow character at the start, but by the end of it, you know, she really redeemed herself. And there's a lot of there's a lot of good lessons to the show. I think it's a great show for kids and one that adults can enjoy too. But yeah, I I see what you're saying with the difference in season one and two and in the stakes and the characters and how they kind of interplay with each other as the the greater Bill Cipher story sort of expands. He did appear in 
season one, but it was the penultimate episode. So it was sort of that Ah. two-part finale where Gideon's trying to kind of take over the town. And that kind of gets us to season two because he's taken the mystery shack at that point and he's had help from Bill Cipher. So that kind of plays into Bill having a bigger role in season two. I I still love the idea of little Gideon in prison. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's just, I mean, he's like a a small man child in actual prison. It's pretty funny to me. Uh, But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. All of that is very good. Bill Cipher, um, the voice is very, very interesting. Um, Alex Hirsch does a lot of the voices for the show. Yeah. And he does Bill Cipher. But the effects that they did on it was like, it's it's higher pitched and it's manic in a way. Uh But the processing on it, whatever like vocal fry... Uh, doubling kind of thing that they they did on the voice actually is sort of unsettling. It's kind of scary. Yeah. You can really tell that Bill Cipher is the ultimate villain in this just by the voice. You know, Lil Gideon has sort of this annoying voice. And every time he's on screen, you're just like, please don't talk too much. Please don't talk too much. Yeah, he's a nuisance. He's more like Team Rocket to Ash Ketchum. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) He's just kind of, he's always there. He just keeps popping up. He's kind of annoying, um, but some of his story gets pretty good. I like the bit with, uh, like, his dad running for mayor yeah. <laughs> um, against Grogal Stan. That was a pretty good one. Yeah, you know, th- there, there's a lot of good Gideon moments, but overall, he's just kind of a, a background nuisance. Yeah, what I really love about season two, though, is just how it had more of a overarching theme. You have the whole thing with Bill Cipher going on in the background pretty much all the time, but you still have all of Mabel's various crushes and how those kind of come back to haunt her for a bit. And you have (laughs) Dipper still trying to get over Wendy, and then he, you know, tries talking to too many girls at once, and that gets him in trouble. So you have the struggles of being a preteen that also kind of just build up with the second season because then you have Dipper and Mabel going separate ways a little more because by that point Mabel has found friends in Candy and Grenda and then Dipper's trying to hang out with the older kids so they kind of do their own thing but then they have to come back together in the end to really just figure everything out and I thought that was really nice because as someone who isn't a twin and doesn't have siblings at all it was something that I felt like I had at least seen with friends of mine, because I've known, you know, several sets of twins. And for a long time, it's like they do everything together. And then Mm -hmm. they have to figure out how to do things separately. Yeah, there is a lot of push and pull with that. Like you said, with, you know, each of them finding their own groups of friends, that's, that's interesting. And of course, with Dipper being in love with Wendy, he wants to hang out with the older cool kids and yeah. and all that. And uh, and there's always tension between those friends, but they play into that even further. They keep pushing that uh, idea that the twins ha- are really, they have to figure out what their relationship is, is going to be like going forward because it is hard to maintain the same kind of relationship once you get into your older years. And when they introduce Stanford Pines, Grunkle Stan's twin brother that was that was sort of lost for a long time, you get to see their relationship play out because they were twins as well so you you get to see flashbacks to how their relationship changed and eventually completely crumbled uh and that's really sad and so while you have dipper who idolizes stanford pines who is like the the genius and Mm -hmm. the mystery solver there is that one episode where stanford gives dipper sort of the opportunity to stay in gravity falls and become his apprentice which is everything he wanted from 
the beginning of season one, when he found the book, he wanted to be the mysterious author of the journals. Um, so when he gets that opportunity, it's a big, it's a big testing point for his relationship with his twin sister who, you know, just kind of wants to like go off to school, but is scared of high school and growing up and all of those things. So you have these odds, but at the end of it, they come back together. And that's a really kind of heartwarming thing. Cause you, they realize, you know, over anything else, they need each other. And, and I think that's one of the, the primary themes is that family's important. And of course this whole show, all of the twin stuff is based off of Alex Hirsch and his own twin sister and their childhood and their relationship. So there's a lot of reality based in it. Yeah, and you have the other quote-unquote family members who aren't actually part of the family. You know, Zeus is just always around. And in season two, we do see him at his house more because when they, you know, lose the shack, they have to go stay with him and his grandma, like, towards the end <laughs> of season one there. And then they're kind of still there when you have other things going on. And then at the end, when Grunkle Stan basically hands the mystery shack over to Zeus instead of closing it down, you see his grandmother moving in right away. <laughs> and it's just so funny how they portray, you know, Zeus's relationship with the grandmother, even though she's not really too big of a character. It's like she just pops in at just the right moments to let you know, like, this is what Zeus has been living with and just how she takes care of him. Because in season two, you find out more about why he doesn't like his birthday, why he doesn't talk about his family at all, because his father kept saying he was going to show up and never did. So then because he feels like family to Dipper and Mabel, they go through like this galactic battle for him <laughs> just to yeah. try and make his birthday better and enjoyable so that he can have something to look forward to on his birthday every year going forward. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the great thing about Zeus. At the beginning of the show, he's just this affable idiot. Everybody loves him because he's you know he's just kind of a goofball, um, not super intelligent. At least doesn't seem super intelligent. Uh, is really into video games. Like he's just kind of a dork. And but the only thing that he really has going for him is his job at yeah. the Mystery Shack. That's it. And so he's really loyal to Stan Pines for that reason because, you know, he's like the closest thing that he's ever had to a father figure, even if maybe Stan doesn't have the highest regard for him. Like, he's, you know, he's all he has. And then over the course of the summer, um, through all these misadventures, he becomes really close with the twins and finds his own little family. Um, and so even though he has his grandma, obviously living with your grandma is kind of a, it's sort of an isolating thing. It doesn't really help him get a lot of dates, which they do venture into in, yeah. in that one episode. But over the course of the summer, Zeus finds out a lot about himself and finds a family. So even when Dipper and Mabel leave at the end of the summer, Zeus has someone, you know, and I think that's just one of those really intentional things that they thought about over the course of the show because people got onto the show very, very fast and very passionately. And so they love these characters. And so I think they really did what they could to make sure that every character in the show got their comeuppance in mm -hmm. whatever way they that the people felt that they deserved. And none of it felt shoehorned. It, none of it felt forced. It was all a very natural uh, storytelling process. And I think... That's a result of a lot of a lot of passion and a lot of work because you it's very easy to just keep producing episodes, but to put in the level of detail and thought into where where are all these characters going in the next yeah. couple episodes, thinking ahead that far, uh, I think that's what at the end of the day really makes this show super special. 
And they didn't need to do all of the character growth in season one for that to work, because like you said, at first, Zeus is kind of just this guy working at the Mystery Shack. Same with Wendy. They both work there, and they're kind of, you know, doing their own thing. Zeus is this sort of weird, funny guy, and Wendy's the cool kid with the cool friends, and ditches work every chance that she gets. So you didn't really have a ton of character growth for those two until the second season. And with Wendy, you sort of see what her life has been like, because she's like, oh, yeah, my dad made us do like apocalypse training. (laughs) It's just all these things that come in handy down the line that we didn't need to know about in season one, because there was nothing as drastic as Bill trying to rip a hole in the galaxy and, you know, take over the entire city and earth or whatever he was actually trying to do it's it's funny how the stakes get raised for these kids like they just they think they're getting sent away to their old uncle's house and then they end up having to work for him and it's kind of like ah this is gonna be such a crappy summer and then things start warming up and things get interesting and things are fun and then all of a sudden it's like world ending stakes (laughs) which is yeah it's goofy it is a cartoon but um it's it's a fun one but a lot of it comes because grunkle stan was not telling them the truth the entire first season and a half. Yeah, but I mean, what reason does he have to? Yeah. He knows that Dipper is is into all of this stuff, but he doesn't know about the journal. He doesn't know that Dipper and Mabel have actually been dealing with, uh, you know, magic gnomes and all of this other stuff. He's just been sort of in the background mining his own. And, uh, and then when finally it all clicks, like he knows that he can't hide it anymore and it all comes out. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad you like the show. I love the show and I look forward to watching it again sometime. I watched it, you know, sometime uh, mid to late last year. So it'll probably be a bit, but it's, it is a show I like think about fairly often, which is, is sort of strange for being marketed as a, a child show, but it's something that I think about and it's fun. It's just a really good, short, fun thing you can watch over the course of like three or four weeks. And yeah, I think uh, if people were to check out the show if they haven't i mean if you've made it to the end of this podcast hopefully we'd i, I tried not to spell too much of it because i know that some people listen through spoiler warnings but if you haven't listened or watched the show you should it's a good one there's still so much we haven't even mentioned that goes on in the show though that is certainly worth watching and i just want to talk about a few quick overall things because we haven't even mentioned you know mabel getting waddles and her relationship (laughs) with this pig the entire time, which I don't really think that's a spoiler because, you know, lots of kids end up having pets. And it's just so funny that she chooses a pig of all pets to get. And that just kind of goes to show how weird everything is in Gravity Falls. And she always has a different sweater on, which sometimes ties into the story, sometimes doesn't. Yeah, Mabel's mega cute. Like, she's just, she's so funny. And she's just light personified. She's just rainbows and glitter and stickers and stuff all the time, which sounds annoying. But yeah. Kristen Shaw brings such an energy to it. It's not annoying. It's just so endearing and so goofy. You can't help but love Mabel from the start. She's just so good. And then, of course, Waddles, later <laughs> later voiced by Neil deGrasse Tyson, which was super <laughs> exciting, I guess, for Alex Hirsch. He was, like, really excited to get Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's pretty great. 
Yeah, the voice cast does a really nice job throughout this. And, you know, you have Linda Cardellini voicing Wendy, which it took me a minute to catch on to that. And then yeah. when I was like going through IMDb, I was like, wow, they got Linda Cardellini. They got J.K. Simmons. You know, they got Neil deGrasse Tyson. They got all of these names. T.J. Miller, John DiMaggio. I mean, yeah. Will Forte. Like there's there's tons of names in such small parts. I think Justin Roiland even had a part in this. Uh, he played Blenjamin Bland. Okay. Oh, I love that. So great. Yeah. Nick Offerman. Yeah. I mean, it's just full of great, great names that I think they could only get because people really trusted the show. They knew like they Mm -hmm. were, you know, a lot of them were watching it themselves, like grown ass adults who have things to do, other more important movies and shows to do. But they like the show because it's it's something different. It's really interesting. And it's like they didn't get any kids to voice the kids. You know, you have Jason Ritter voicing (laughs) Dipper and you're just like, okay, you know, this still works. And obviously, you know, the Ritter family has been around for quite some time. You know, several of John Ritter's kids are in the business. Unfortunately, he had passed away. But I believe even his father was an actor, too. So it's like, it's nice to see that people with these names that sort of stand out to you are just out there doing voice work. And they didn't just get people who are solely known for doing voice work, which I don't think is a problem. You know, you have plenty of people Mm -hmm. like Tara Strong who do voice work for everything under the sun, and they probably make a killing doing it. (laughs) So it was just so nice to see that they switched things up from, you know, just voice actors. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And it, I think they had a lot of fun with it. And in a lot of cases, if they couldn't get somebody to do it, Alex Hirsch had to do it. <laughs> so you get to see the the, the dynamic range of uh, the creator of this show throughout yeah. the entire thing, because he does so many voices. It's funny. I'm excited to see. I'm a big Alex, Alex Hirsch fan. After watching this, uh, I kind of dug more into what he's all about. And I don't know, he just seems like a really interesting dude. And I'm excited to see what he's doing in Netflix, because Netflix signed him for a series. And I'm excited to see what that turns out to be. Yeah, I'll have to keep an eye out on that, too, because this just really took me by surprise because a lot of the animated stuff that I watch will be your typical Marvel and Star Wars stuff. So I've watched all of the Star Wars animated shows, and I even watched Resistance, which wasn't everyone's favorite Star Wars animated show. But it's one of those things where I don't look at animated shows as just cartoons for kids because even going back now and watching some of like the early Scooby-Doo episodes you catch on to things that were meant for the adults especially Spongebob too I think that show put in so many jokes for the adults you're like oh I see what they did here because they knew parents would be watching these things with their kids yeah you know Spongebob's one that I've been thinking about going back to because uh as a kid that show annoyed the ever living shit out of me (laughs) like i was i was born during the right time for spongebob that show was coming out as i was you know it it was made for me but it was just so obnoxious i couldn't stand his laugh i thought patrick was so stupid but now as an adult i'm looking at my imax screen right now and i have a chat window up in the corner with a couple of friends and there are a bunch of spongebob memes just repeating in front of me right now (laughs) it's a show that i think i might have to go back and watch at least maybe some of the earlier seasons because i find myself referencing referencing things from that show and i haven't watched that show since it came out but those things stuck with me even though i thought it was so annoying as a kid no this is patrick is a bit that i think about all the time it's so funny so yeah like cartoons 
cartoons are dynamic. There's a lot of range to these things. It doesn't have to be marketed as like a Rick and Morty where you know it's going to be gross and made for adults to be enjoyable by adults. Yeah. Gravity Falls is great. I'm sure that there are other Disney shows that are great. I know some of the people who worked on Gravity Falls went off to work on some other show that I think involves frogs. I don't know. But that might be something I check out down the line. What are those two shows that people also really seem to like? Adventure Time? And I think there's one more. Big Mouth or something? I think there's one on Netflix. No, Big Mouth's Netflix, and that one's kind of kind of grody. But yeah. Adventure Time's another one where, you know, it's like a kid's show, but a lot of people really gravitate to it for its deeper themes and... And bigger lessons. So I see that one mentioned a lot. And I think maybe they've expanded into like books and podcasts or something too. They definitely have comics, that much I know, but I know there's a character named Jake. <laughs> that I know. All the reason for you to watch it. But yeah, I really just loved how well this all came together. And as soon as I noticed that there were going to be some like horror elements to the stories, I was like, Oh yes, I am all in on this. <laughs> Yeah, what was the what's that one creature um that's like always hiding behind something? Oh man. You know what I'm talking about? I think it I think it maybe came up in the show. Maybe it was one of the uh maybe it was one of the shorts. So that's possible and maybe you didn't see it, but there's like this one carrot like this one creature um that's always hiding behind something. And I love the idea of it. It kind of reminded me of the primary uh villain in Over the Garden Wall, but okay. um it was pretty cool. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Good creatures. They didn't just do um, like known creatures either. I think that was one of their goals was to not just do like a werewolf episode or like the Loch Ness monster and yeah. Yeah, there was always like a new twist. It was always some kind of new thing. Like maybe it, it had roots in something that exists in existing folklore, but they always tried to do something new with it, so it wasn't expected. I think they did a good job with that. Yeah, and you have shapeshifters you have the summerween episode which i really love that oh. episode because i'm all for a halloween in the summer now <laughs> summerween that episode was so good i want to be i want to be that character <laughs> so badly what was that character's name oh man it was what was his name oh the was it the trickster the summerween trickster yes yes so good the character design for the trickster was a little reminiscent of the scarecrow character design from batman the animated series which is another fantastic yeah. animated show that i think has inspired a lot of animated shows that have come after it to be for both children and adults yeah for sure the summerween trickster amazing character i love him i want to be him for halloween he was voiced by jeff bennett who played a character called Candlejack in the cartoon freakazoid which i absolutely adored as a kid and Candlejack was my favorite villain in that show too so it's also kind of a, a creepy supernatural villain um Candlejack had like a burlap sack over his head and looks like a ghost oh yeah yeah, yeah. you'd know him if you if you watch the show you'd recognize him right away um, but yeah, Jeff Bennett's great. He plays two of my all-time favorite animated, you know, Halloween-y type villains, Candlejack and Summerween Trickster. So good. What a great episode. Yeah, that one really stood out to me. I was like, yes. And also, a lot of great references in the show. And one of them was in that episode. So at the end of it, the Summerween Trickster sort of evolves into this, like, bigger gelatinous monster, um, <laughs> yeah. which is a huge reference towards Spirited Away. Like, it's basically the same character as No-Face and Spirited Away at that point. Yeah. I thought that was a really cool, fun thing, too. That's a nice catch. I totally didn't catch that. It's been forever and a day since I have seen Spirited Away, though, and I did not mean to make that rhyme, but I did. So there we go. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Thanks for reminding <laughs> me of that. I, I got to put that on my uh, my Halloween playlist with uh, Over the Garden Wall. 
that episode in particular is, is really great. Yeah, you can tell that they had a lot of fun with just the designs for this stuff and the characters that would only come in for even just an episode. They put a lot of thought into how these things would look and how these characters or creatures would interact with Dipper and Mabel in particular. And it just worked so well because that was another one of those episodes where you can see that Dipper wants to go do his own thing, but Mabel keeps pulling him back and wanting him to go trick-or-treating with her and dress up even though he wants to go hang out with the cool kids who are too old for trick-or-treating. And it just sort of becomes this big ordeal because he takes off his costume when he sees that Wendy is going to be driving by with her friends and all of the candy falls and it just sort of escalates everything. I think they do such a great job of taking something that is simple, like not wanting to go trick-or-treating anymore because you think you've outgrown it, and then turning it into this big, terrifying creature story. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, do you have any other thoughts? Do you have a favorite character from this? Or is this just something you love as a whole and that's that? Uh, I mean, apart from the Summer Wing Trickster, I just love Dipper. He's so good. Yeah. I, I love watching him throughout the whole thing. Like, both Dipper and Mabel are super fun. I like them both, but... Dipper in particular, I really identified with so much so that I am cosplaying as Dipper in my game of Animal Crossing. The first thing I did, <laughs> first thing I, I did when I, I could get the ultimate designer kit was I designed Dipper's hat, which I put on and I have a little outfit that looks a lot like his. I haven't been able to find a vest yet. I want, I want the same kind of like, you know, Pacific Northwest vest that he wears, but I have something that's pretty close and I, I enjoy running around as Dipper and, and running through the woods and trying to find critters. It's fun. Yeah, I feel like if I were put in this situation where I had to go to this kind of city for the summer, I would certainly be 1000% like Dipper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. He's great. Everybody's great. All the characters are really good. You know, even like Mabel's friends, the teens, like they're all they're all very good. And there's just a great balance to the whole town throughout the whole thing. And yeah, I don't know. I could gush about the show forever. I'm glad that you you watch it. And we could do this. You know, it, it's it's not often that I get to come on the show and gush about something, but uh, when I do, it's it's usually about something that I'm very passionate about, and this is one of those shows that just really got me, and I was surprised by it, because I didn't think I would love it as much as I did, and I'm glad that I, I gave it a shot. I am very glad that you recommended it, so, you know, I will always take your recommendations into consideration, because I think a lot of our tastes are aligned, as far as quality of animated shows goes, at least. Yeah, yeah. I'll dip my toes into Adventure Time at some point, and I'll let you know if it's worth watching. Okay, good to know, because <laughs> it'll be a while before I can get to another show. Thankfully, because yeah. this was only two seasons, I was like, yeah. okay, I know it's done. I know it's not coming back. I can get through this and not feel obligated to watch, you know, five more seasons of it or something. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what makes it a, a really good and easy show to pick up on. It It's not going to take you very long. Absolutely. Well, Jacob, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this. I will not wait nearly as long to have you on again, hopefully. Yeah, I'm sure most of that's on me, but I appreciate that. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode of Welcome to Geekdom. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so through our Patreon. You can sign up for a dollar a month. That'll get you a thank you on the show. Two dollars a month, you get to pick a topic that myself and a guest will discuss on the show. For five dollars a month, you can join the Welcome to Geekdom Slack group, where you can talk to myself and various guests who have been on the show. If you want to follow us on socials, you can do so at Geekdom Pod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram. 
and Facebook. If you feel inclined, please do give us a review on iTunes, wherever you listen. It really does help the show. And as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.